Hello everybody, BB here, and welcome to season one, episode four of my podcast, In the Works. This is a space dedicated to intentional community and soulful connection, so you can feel supported and accepted while in the works of your 20s. If you haven't given the first few episodes a listen, please do so. I'd love to accompany you on your walk, your commute, or wherever you choose to tune in from. I wasn't really sure what to expect when choosing to do a podcast for my capstone project in school, but it really is a joy, a joy to share parts of my journey, my learnings, and wisdom as it's coming to me. I hope you stick around, we can grow together, and I hope to get to know you more as we grow this community of people and souls in the works. For this special episode, I'm bringing on a guest that I know will add a lot of value to your life. Today, we are talking about purpose. I briefly mentioned this episode in episode one, I believe, but as a 20-something-year-old, especially nowadays, we're given a lot of choice. I like to call it decision overwhelm. It's kind of like you're at Cheesecake Factory and you don't know (laughs) what's going on. Um, But nowadays we have access to so many different opportunities and it can be hard to make decisions that are in alignment with your values and your purpose. What is purpose? How do we discover what our purpose is and How do we step into our power and live into our purpose? These are questions we will be uncovering in this episode, so stick around if you feel so called. So today we are talking about purpose, a heavy topic, but also arguably one of the most important topics to understand and hold close as we make what feels like life-breaking decisions in our 20s. As shared prior, I'm joined by a very special guest. It is someone I've had the honor of learning from this past year, and he is known as Mr. Joseph Ataya. He is an award-winning film director, digital content creator, music producer, educator, and serial entrepreneur. I've had the privilege of learning from him because he is the director and also professor for my master's program at USC. In my words, he is a storyteller, media enthusiast, business mentor, and just a great individual that combines strategy and soul in everything that he does. Let's give a warm welcome to Joseph Ataya, a.k.a. the Professor of Purpose for today. Thank you, Vivi, and it's that's a <laughs> lovely introduction, and I'm super tickled, actually, that Professor of Purpose, uh, that means a, a lot. That's really cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel that. That's awesome. Thank you, and, and it's, a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I'm super proud of you and all the work that you've done and the journey that you've been on. I've been watching you since before you even came into the program. 
when I read your whole application and your statement of purpose. I remember it clearly and admitted you into the program. And our program is stronger and your classmates are wiser because of you. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so today I'm so excited to talk with you about this. I haven't had the ability to connect with you about this just yet, but this is the perfect opportunity to. So I prepared a series of questions revolving around the topic of purpose, but of course I'm open to any which direction this conversation goes. So in a lot of your classes, you refer to the Japanese concept, Ikigai. What does this term mean to you? Yeah, um, thanks for asking. So the Japanese um, have this word and it's, it's close to what we talk about in America as purpose. Um, but the Japanese do it in their own very Japanese way. I'm uh, half Japanese, actually, so this resonates a lot in my heart and soul and culture. Um, but the Japanese word ikigai means your reason for being. We think of purpose a lot as something that that is for us. Like, oh, what's my purpose for me, for my life? It's going to feel good and help my dreams come true. The Japanese flip it around a little bit in my interpretation. And it's about what is my reason for existing? not just for myself, but for the world and my community around me, my reason for existing. And the Japanese have four categories. And, um, and the, those four categories, it's funny, I was actually, before I ever even heard of this concept, um, I because I, I've thought about this so much my whole life, you know, what are we doing here? It's very similar to the question that you're asking, Vivi in your podcast series, right? Well, in our 20s, and we're trying to figure out, well, where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? Anyway, I came up with these ideas around, around it, and it had to do with your, your passions and interests, what you're naturally superpower good at, um, and then something that the world needs. And I was, one day I was lecturing about this uh, at USC, and a student came up to me afterwards and said, you got that from Ikigai, didn't you? And I went, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? I just came up with these things, like, really, honestly, on my own. And um, then I went and looked it up, and I was pretty shocked that this thing had already existed. And by the way, it just goes to show that in life, uh, very often, there are things that just are true. And um, like the first time you hear a great song, or the first time you see a beautiful sculpture, it's almost like they were there already. Nobody, nobody came up with them in their own brain. They just somehow discovered this, this beautiful truth that already existed. So that's how it was for me. And I suspect that's how it was for the, uh, the Japanese person or people that came up with it. Anyway, I've added to this idea because I think it's a, a little bit too narrow. And I've actually broken it into eight categories, not just four. So when you're thinking about your Ikigai or your reason for being, I have this thing that I now I call it Ikigai Plus, like Disney Plus. Um, and so I'd love for everybody, if you're if you're sitting along with us, to to think about these eight things. Maybe think of one for each of these categories. So number one, what do you really enjoy? What do you really like? Okay. Now, there's a second layer that's even deeper. What do you care about? 
So I might really like um, football, but I really care about competition and, and healthy um, ethical competition, for an example. Okay, so those are the first two categories. The second two categories have to do with what you're good at. And I'd break that into two parts. Number one, what are you good at that you've learned to be good at? Have you learned how to play the piano? Have you learned how to be a, a good speaker? Have you learned how to uh, be a good cook, uh, to be a great coder? Okay, so those are learned skills that we, that we go on this journey. But one of the things that are just intrinsic in you, right? So somebody might be a great tennis player, but it starts with having incredible hand-eye coordination or fast twitch muscles or amazing endurance or extremely good sight, the ability to track a ball and how it's spinning. So you have to think about that. What have you learned how to do and are you highly skilled at? But also then, what were you born with that no one can take away from you that's like a superpower that just flows through your veins? And, and really hold tight to that. So the next category, uh, and this one comes from the Japanese Ikigai is, what will people pay you to do? And this is a hard one for a lot of people, um, but it's an important one because if no one will pay you for it, then it's maybe it's just a hobby and that's okay. It's okay if it's just a hobby. And there are many things that we do, but a hobby is something you do for yourself. It's not something that you do for others. So I like golf, right? I like to play it. It's fun. But no, but it's it's just for me. It's just a it's just a way that I have fun and relax. I could never do it at a high enough level that it could in any way be a contribution to others. But there are people who play golf at such a high level, uh, or they can teach golf at such a high level, or they can work somewhere within the golf industry at such a high level that um, it's actually something that they can do to give away that people will pay you for. So as you're thinking through that, just remember, you know, when you're going into your career, it's not, it's not a hobby career. It has to be a career where you can earn money, support yourself, sustain yourself, and then give it away to others. Um, another category is um, uh, what does the world need? So not just something that's a nice to have is a quote unquote thing that we talk about nice to have, but what is something that's a need to have that there's a problem that exists in the world. And that's a great place to start when you're thinking about what your life purpose or existence uh, reason for existence is. When you look around in your industry or in the world that you live in, what is something that's a problem that you see? So maybe you're in the music industry or maybe you're in the medical industry or the real estate industry. And you look around and you go, gosh, if only there was a solution to this problem that I keep bumping up against. That can be a very interesting piece of an entrepreneurial puzzle that you can go and solve and think about how to solve the problem. Okay. And there's two more categories. I want everybody to think about Something that has influenced you, or maybe more than one thing, has influenced you so deeply that it's just part of what you are. In my case, as I mentioned, I'm Japanese. My family on my Japanese side is from the city of Hiroshima. 
which was bombed with the first nuclear bomb in 1945. And that created a deep um, feeling of, of anguish and ultimately a deep hatred for America that existed in my grandparents. And then when my father, who was Japanese, married my mother, who was an American, there was a horrible rift in our family. And that rift um, and that generational fallout just stayed with me and, and was such an important and painful part of our family that in many ways it influenced every single decision that I ever made after that. So think about that. Um, and maybe it's not negative. Maybe it's positive. Maybe you went on an extraordinary trip or you had an amazing uh, family member or mentor. Maybe it was negative. There was an, an accident or an illness or something like that. And it just became part of you and it influenced every decision. Know what those things are and then identify them. And then the last of the eight categories, and this is a very un-Japanese thing that I would uh, uh, say in my estimation, is think about what your emotional essence is. Not something that exists in your brain that you can intellectually think about, but what is an emotional essence that you crave that just makes you feel really in touch with your own self and your own joy? And think about like a great rapper like Eminem. Man, when he was angry, there was this power that flowed through him. Then you can think about other people who, when they're very peaceful, there's this, there's this natural power that th flows through them. And everybody's different. So think about what the emotional place is that really speaks to you where you go, oh my gosh, that's it. I'm vibrating. That feels exactly right to me like a fish swimming in a stream. For me... It always comes back to that feeling of inspiration. When I feel inspired about something, when I can see other people getting inspired about something, to me, that is the magic elixir of life. And I always seek that emotional space. And that's helpful for all of us as we go and we think about what jobs we're going to have or what companies we're going to start. Because if you can infuse that company and that brand, because brand, remember, is the experience. It's much more than just the product itself. It's the experience of a product. And if you can infuse that product and the experience of that product with an emotion that resonates with you, then that's something that will become so powerful that people can't stay away from it. They'll, they'll crave it. They'll want it. Okay? That's it. You got plus. <laughs> I love it. You talk a lot about how purpose makes you feel and i remember in class we were talking about this balance between using your mind and your heart to make decisions how do you know if something is in line with your purpose it's a really hard question to answer because many times in my life, and I've seen it with other people also, you you base your decisions a little too much on what makes sense and you ignore what feels right. But then sometimes you go for something that you feel, but maybe it doesn't quite make sense. So I would say this, you know, the more every day, right, we, we get into a, a, the boat of life and we're rowing, we're rowing away. And I think it's really important as we're rowing, because we're never going to row in a straight line. Life never moves in straight lines. But 
If you know what your North Star is, sometimes in storytelling, we've talked about super objective. And a super objective is more than just the thing that you want next. Super objective is the thing that's your North Star. The thing that you want that's almost primal, that, that, you, that you crave and that you need and that every decision is driving for in some way. That when you're trying to make those decisions and you're choosing between your head and your heart, if you don't think of what's right in front of you, that's why I don't like it when people say, well, what's your two-year plan or your five-year plan? I think it's better if you think about what should my 50-year plan be? What's my dream? What does my life look like when I'm 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 years old? What's the perfect job? And maybe I can't get it in the next five years. What's the perfect job that I want to have? What's the legacy that I want to leave? Where do I, who's that person that I want to be by the time I'm 70? What's my North Star? And then you can say, okay, I'm going to little by little aim myself. And every day I get in my boat and I'm in a row, I'm going to row towards that North Star. I find that that really helps. And that's hard. It's hard to find and think about what that is. It's hard. But if you don't start thinking about it, then you'll always be at the whims and your life will end up going, oh, I'm going a little bit this direction. Now I'm going a little that direction. Oh, now I'm going this direction. Whoa, now maybe I'm going to go this direction. And pretty soon you're rowing and, you're, and you're, your route starts to look like this, a little bit here and a little bit there and you're all over the place. And you've been rowing just as hard as everybody else, but you're not rowing towards anything. Yeah. And I think while we're working towards our purpose, something that comes to mind is also our values. How does our purpose and our values differ? How do our purpose and our values differ? That's a very interesting question. What do you think? Yeah, I was thinking about this question this morning, and I think our purpose is just more of a directional signal to where we're supposed to be going. But our values are, I guess our values dictate how we act while we're working towards our purpose. That's interesting. Yeah, maybe our values are what we carry with us day by day, the way that we treat each other, the way that we go to work, the way that we uh, engage ethically in everything that we do. And that's like our operating system every day. And then purpose is more like GPS for knowing where it is that you want to go to. Um, and they're both really important. And they're yeah. tied together. Um, there's a, you know, that idea of GPS is an interesting one. And I didn't come up with this at all. This comes from a great um, sports psychologist, one of the world's leading sports psychologists. His name is Dr. Jim Lair. And he talks about that idea of GPS. And in GPS, there are two really important components. So the first one is what? When you when you want to get somewhere. What's the first and most what's the first thing that we all do when we're trying to get to somebody's house? you know, halfway across town. Put in that address. Put in the address, right? 
Perfect. You got to know where you're going. But the GPS won't guide you there unless it knows where you are right now. So as human beings, we have to not only think about where we want to go, specifically where we want to go to get somewhere, but we also have to know where we are. And we have to be honest with ourselves about it. We have to go, huh? And that comes back to that first question at Ikigai, where you go, you know, look, I, I know I want to go somewhere, but um, maybe you're not being honest with yourself about what your skills really are, what your natural superpowers really are, um, and what they're not. And that's hard for, for us. Although some people are a little delusionally they, confident, but then some people are delusionally insecure. They're too hard on themselves when they actually should be believing in themselves a lot more than they really are because maybe they're comparing themselves to whatever they see on social media and this crazy impossible standard that we see in movies and television. Um, uh, and, and they're being a little bit too hard on themselves. But you've got to know who you are and where you are. Um, that's a really critical, important uh, aspect of knowing uh, within the GPS of life where it is that you want to go and then plotting a path to get there. Yeah. I love analogies. So that was perfect to bring up. <laughs> Me too. Have you ever had a job where you just knew you weren't in alignment with your purpose? Mm. And how did you know? Was that decision more of a feeling or was that more with your mind in that instance? It's a very, very interesting question. And it's a very, very hard one to answer. And sometimes I've been in positions where it actually was what I thought I was supposed to do. But halfway through, I realized that it didn't really matter the way that I hoped that it would matter. And also one of the, so I'll, I'll share with you that, you know, when I was in my early twenties, I had a dream and such a strong dream to want to be a film director. Part of it was, I just thought that was a really cool sounding thing to do. And I really admired directors who'd gone off and made great movies that I really loved and respected. And I thought, boy, that'd be really neat. And so I went on this crusade of becoming a film director. And I have to tell you that even though the films that I love are wonderful and, and the films that I made, I, in the end, I was really proud of, what I found is that I hated the process of it. It actually wasn't inspiring or fun. It was a grind, a really suffering, terrible grind. Other people were in the process of making films and they just thought it was great. They loved it. But for me, I found it just incredibly, just really, really unpleasant and hard. So that's one of the things that I would say. And that's why I said, you know, think about the essence of who and what you are. Also think about the fact that if you're going to go and be working in a job, it should really be something that you go, you know, I really like this, whether you're doing massage or you're building houses or you're teaching or you're making coffee for people, right? And we're working in the service industry. 
it really should be something that just the act of it, not the goal of where it might be if you get to that place and you're making the money and have the perfect job in five or 10 or 20 or 30, 40 years, but just the act of doing it really should be super fun. There's a real famous tennis player named Novak Djokovic. And at one point he was frustrated with his tennis career and he decided that he wanted to quit. And, and I think he had, he was doing pretty well. Um, maybe he was the number three or number four player in the world. And he was so, I mean, extremely well, I should say, right? Extremely well, if you're the third or fourth best player in the world. But he just was, I'm not winning the way that I should be. I feel like I'm not winning and so I'm gonna quit. And his coach said, then quit. If all you care about is winning, then quit. And so he said, okay, fine. He took his racket and threw it in the garbage and he just, and he went away. And what he said he found is that within about 48 hours, he was so itchy, just to, all he wanted to do was just hold his racket and get on a court and hit balls and, and try to beat his opponent. And he just, just the act of playing tennis, he, he realized he loved so much that that was actually much more important to him than winning. He just loved the act of holding a racket and being on a court and hitting those balls as beautifully as he could. And so he came back to his coach and he said, coach, that was a really good lesson that you taught me that I needed. I, and I had to experience it for myself that it's not the, the joy isn't in the winning because by the way, when you win, how long does that last? Very tiny amount of time, very, very tiny. If you're a mountain climber, how long do you actually stand on the top of that mountain? Very tiny amount of time compared to all the rest of it. You have to love the act of being a mountain climber. So for, for, you know, when you asked me this interesting question, did I ever feel like I was out of alignment? I would say that strangely, it was in this act of being a movie director that I just found that it wasn't that fun. And I had to be really honest, really honest about with myself about it, that, that maybe even though I believe in movies and stories, there's a pivot that needed to happen still in that area of storytelling uh, for me and multimedia, but it's not as simple as, oh, I just want to make one movie after another. Yeah. And I think that in your instance, it's the perfect example that we should be measuring our passion and purpose by how it feels in our body, not so yes. much about how it sounds in our head or how right. it may sound to somebody else. Like you said, the role of a director sounds so cool. Telling your friends, like, you know, I am a director of this award-winning film. It sounds great, but if it doesn't feel right to you in the process, then it's not worth it. Because you know what, to, to do anything really, really well and be successful and make a lot of money and have prestige and all those other things that of course all sound really nice, you have to do it a lot, right? We've all heard about the 10,000 hour theory, right? That's just the beginning. You have to devote your life to it. You, sometimes six, seven days a week, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, you have to be obsessed. And if it doesn't feel good, exactly like you said, in your body, if it just doesn't, just the act alone of it doesn't feel fun and enriching and natural, 
then that's no way to live life. That's no way to live. Pick something that feels good. Yeah. Yeah, my therapist told me last week, like, drop out of your mind and into your body. Hmm. And since practicing that, I feel like I've just been a lighter person. Like, I've physically felt lighter. As someone that's in their 20s, um, still figuring out who they are, how can we extend ourselves past our immediate circle of friends and family and find our impact in, you know, the, the greater world? It's a great idea. And I have, a, I have an answer that I really believe in. And Vivi, you've heard me say this before, that I believe life is a potluck. And not everybody knows what a potluck is. Vivi, do you know what a potluck is? Yeah, like with your family and stuff. Tell All us, the food. tell me what a potluck is. <laughs> <laughs> everybody just brings some kind of beverage, some kind of food item, and then we all share and have a party together. Grab whatever you want. Yeah, that's right. And sometimes you do it with your family. Sometimes you do it with your friends. Sometimes you, you know, you do it like a church event or a community event. And the idea is rather than, you know, it's catered and everybody just shows up and eats what the caterer ate. Everybody's supposed to show up and they're supposed to bring their special dish, whatever that special thing is that they have. And then you bring it and you lay it out on this potluck table, but there's everybody else's special dishes there. And so instead of just sitting there eating your own dish that you've had 10,000 times, that maybe you're even starting to take a little bit for granted that it's good because you've eaten it so much, suddenly everybody's taking a small helping of everybody's best dish. And it's ex so exciting. And they're going, oh my God, Vivi, that thing that you brought, that is so delicious and unexpected. How in the heck? And you go, ah, it's no big deal. That's just my, you know grandparents' recipe that's been passed down for multiple generations that we've made 80,000 times until we've perfected it, right? And everybody else is saying the same thing. And all of a sudden, on your dish of life, you have not one yummy thing, you've got 15 yummy things. And they're all new and unexpected and interesting and exciting. And that experience, then now you're talking to the people who've brought their special dishes, and you're finding out, you know, where where it came from and what culture and where their grandparents did it and how, what the process is. And Hey, do you mind giving me the recipe? Yes. Uh, and, and all of us and everything goes round and round. So you said, how do you move past your circle and get into the world where you can begin to connect with other people? For me, it goes like this. Every chance you get offer up your special dish. And some people are rich. I was not born rich. And so there was a long time where I felt a little awkward about that. I'd be with friends and they'd go, well, you want to come to my ski house in Aspen? And I'd feel a little awkward, like, well, I don't have a ski house in Aspen that I can invite you to. I just feel kind of like a jerk showing up. But then I thought, you know what? They might have the ski house in Aspen, but I know how to play the piano and I know how to cook really good spaghetti and meatballs. And so I'm going to show up. And I'm going to buy this great dinner for everybody. And I'm going to play a bunch of music to make sure everybody has a good time. And that was a really great thing to bring to this potluck. So 
every time somebody says, hey, is there an opportunity to go and give your time or your talent, or if you have some money, you can give some money, uh, then show up and bring the thing that you have. And that's a great way to then begin to meet other kinds of people who are in moving in other circles and spheres of influence. And then they'll introduce you to their friends and you'll introduce them to your friends. And pretty soon everything will start to grow and grow and grow far beyond your own small area. Why? Because you said, I'm going to give. And it always starts with giving. We think about networking like, oh, I'm gonna go meet Vivi, great. And I'm gonna try to figure out how she can help me in my life and my career. What can I take from her? But I don't think that's what the great networkers do. They show up and they say, Vivi, what are you up to? What are you thinking about in your life? What is exciting to you? What are you passionate about? And how can I help you along your journey? When you do that, then something magic happens because you're not just doing it for yourself. You're doing it for them and you're doing it for the world that they live in. And things will begin to grow. If you're a taker, everything will stay this small. I'm a miser of my own gifts. I want to keep everything right here so nobody takes it away from me. But if you show up and you say, hey, everything I got, I'm ready to give it because I know that energy, like the sun, is a renewable resource. There's always more and more coming. Then that's how magic and energy begins to flow and move out into the world. And you will move to the places that you want to go. Yeah. I love that. You're basically saying, you know, shift that perspective of me to we. Yeah. And a lot of the time in our 20s, it's like a win for you is a loss for me and vice versa. But I think there's a world where we can all win together. Yeah. Well, and, one of the things that I would say about the process of being in your 20s is, you know, uh, Becoming an adult, so to speak, is doesn't just happen because you turn 18 or because you graduated from college, you, you know, or because you've gotten married or you've bought a house or some of those adulty sort of things, right? Or even you've become a parent. Um, I know a lot of parents who are still seeing a little like, you. what's going on? You haven't really like clicked. But here's what I'll tell you that I think is this. And it comes back to what we were talking about just a second ago is that when you're a child, you're in receive mode all the time. People are telling you what to do and telling you where to go and they're giving you food and they're giving you knowledge and they're giving you direction. And it's all coming this way as a child. It's all coming this way and you're consuming. But the people we wanna become and the adults that we wanna become as we head through our 20s and into our 30s, is we want to become the kind of people who are not receivers, but the kind of people who are creators and givers and producers. And that instead of like, let me think about how you could tell, give me knowledge, we start to think about, hey, how can I give knowledge? How can I be the person who's making food for other people and giving ideas and giving and creating opportunities and giving energy and making things for others? So to me, that's one of the biggest changes 
paradigm shifts between being a child and being truly an adult is that you go into this mode where like everything you do is about providing for others. And it can feel a little exhausting. (laughs) It can feel a little exhausting. I have three children and a wife and a dog. And all I do all the time is think about how to provide for them. But, um, you know, what else is money for? What's, what else is it for? You know, I don't want, I'm just buy more, buy more black t-shirts. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So as a kid, you know, you're basically like 10 pounds of macaroni, just absorbing everything that's thrown at you, believing everything that's said to you. And once we get older, we may realize, oh, you know, what that person said to me, I don't think is true. And like, to be able to share our gifts and spread our purpose further than our circle, we need to have the courage and the confidence to share it. I think we all have a unique story to tell. It's just whether or not we do have the confidence or courage to share it. So for somebody that's entering the stage of early adulthood and isn't too confident yet, what would you say that they can do to really make their life their own? I would say think about what your special thing is that you have. Because in the beginning, we all do feel like, oh, I don't really have that much to share. When there's all these other amazing people doing amazing things. Keep in mind that those amazing people, they're not amazing at everything. If you talk to somebody who just seems like the world's biggest genius, they're only the world's biggest genius if they're doing the thing that they're the best at. Ask them a question or put them in a situation that they're not the best at, and suddenly they become very ordinary, very, very, very fast. So don't think that anybody has all the answers. Nobody does. But people are specializing in the thing that they're great at. So. Don't look at yourself as a whole and say, well, I'm not good at all these things. I'm not rich enough or smart enough or well-educated enough, best job, nicest car, best outfit, coolest vacations, you know, good-looking, face-tuned enough all the time. Like, don't think about all those things because nobody's everything, you know? Nobody's everything. Just think about the, the one or two or three things that you have that you know are pretty amazing and really focus on on those things because that's how everybody is. That's how everybody is. Uh, you know, I don't care if you're the most f- famous person in the world, the most famous politician or actor or musician or whatever it is in the world, influencer. They're they're really really exceptional in a couple of areas, and then a whole bunch of areas they're they're just okay. They're they're doing their best. They're just doing okay. So know what it is that you've got that's special and really focus on that and make that the absolute best that it can be and believe in it and love it because probably it was put there, not even by you, it was probably put there in, you know, by God, whatever in the world God is, I don't think any of us really know, uh, but you were born with it and it's, and it's part of you. So that means sacred. That means it's sacred. And if you know that and you hold on to it with all your heart, then you can always feel secure in knowing 
that like authentically you can share that and it's coming from a place that's much, much bigger than you. That was amazing. I have a quick speed round for you so you can answer in a word or one or two sentences, whatever fun. you feel comfortable with. Okay, fun. All right. What is your purpose? My purpose is to inspire the next generation through multimedia. Who are you doing this for? I am doing it for anybody who needs it, regardless of age. But I especially do it for people who are young. Because I think once people get old, they don't, they're a little set in their ways. But when you're, but when you're a teenager or 20 in your 20s, you're still a little plastic. And, and you can still, you're still trying to figure it out. Agreed. Um, this is a fun one. What is your favorite food and why? Right now, my favorite food is Mexican food because I just got back from Mexico City a few days ago. It was my 20th anniversary with my wife and we went down there. I had the most expensive meal I've ever had and I had the cheapest meal that I've ever had in my life. And they were both tacos. One cost $1,000 and one cost 25 cents. And they were both amazing. Where is your favorite vacation spot? I would say the most beautiful place I've ever been is oh, so hard. I'm, I just have to give you three. Either the Amalfi Coast in Italy, um, Hanalei Bay in Hawaii, or Big Sur in California. All right, last one. If you could leave the listeners with one piece of advice today and maybe an actionable step that they can do today, what would it be? I would say that even though it's a very difficult thing to do, to really think about the very unique and, and extraordinary identity that you have the special thing that you love to do, that you bring to the world, bringing it back to Ikigai, that intersection of what truly matters to you and feels wonderful that you, when you're doing it, and then the things that you know that the world really needs. And that, that idea of what's your identity. And we all have, none of us are one thing, you know, none of us just love one thing or are good at one thing. We're all, a, you know, we're like diamonds with all these different facets. And that's why it's so tricky. Um, but to think really long and hard and continue to be on a, on a journey of thinking about what your identity is. What's the best of what you are? What's the best of what you like? What's the best of what you're good at? What's the best of what the world needs? What's the best of, 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 of the emotional essence that feels the best to you? not in your head, right, but dropping down into your body and then recognizing that that special cocktail is unique only to you and getting really, really true on it and then committing yourself to it um, in everything you do, um, not just at work, but, you know, with your friends or with your family or with the person that you're in love with or with your kids or with your coworkers, your colleagues or your fellow students go, you know, if you're funny, be funny. If you're inspired, be inspired. If you're, if you are, are defiant, 
and angry and be defiant and angry and know what your identity is and stay really, really true to it and continue to sharpen it and, and make it better and better and better and better as you go through your life and realize that that is the gift that's not just for you. That is the gift that you're meant to give to the world around you. And that I think is, is one of the keys to really building a life that matters. Well, thank you for being here, Professor Ataya. Thank you for sharing your wisdom with us today. I've appreciated sharing this time, space, energy with you tonight. Um, I'm really thankful for you and just your whole being. So continue doing what you do and inspiring the people around you. Um, and I'm sure that the folks listening are super inspired by you too. That's a real gift um, to be able to be here with you. And I really appreciate it, BB. I'm really proud of you and the, all the, the, the journey that you're on and all the steps that you've made and how focused you are, not just thinking about something, but then actually going and doing it. That's a big difference in life between thinking about something and then actually activating it. So well done and thank you. Thank you.